0: As you were giving that explanation, my initial thought was, "Okay, so everyone has this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. who doesn't? Who doesn't exhibit a lot of those symptoms, let's call them, yeah, characteristics, on a regular basis?" I'd be interested to know, even before Barbara, we get into that, what would be considered typical and what would be not typical? Because to me, I'm like, well, that's just everyone all the time. So, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs>
1: So true. Hello there. Welcome to the Thriving Family Podcast.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. It's Teresa and Barbara. We're so happy you're
1: here. We know how many great podcasts are out there and we're grateful that you're taking the time to hang out with us in a supportive space to fill your cup and elevate your life. This podcast is about parenting, but a lot about taking care of you as the parent. We are the captain of our family ship, so the better we feel, the more smooth sailing there is for everyone. We really wanna discuss the tough and awkward subjects that we all come across in parenting, especially with school-aged and older kids. We're here with
2: you through all the peaks and valleys to hold space for you through all the feels and to help make sure you always put on your own oxygen mask first.
1: Our hope is that you know you're never alone in parenting and that we're here to support you at every stage. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you, and we provide new content every week. If you have a question for us, please reach out on Instagram at Thriving Family Podcast. We're here for you, so let us know what topics would be helpful and that you're interested in. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with family and friends. If you leave a review, you'll have the opportunity to win a gift that we absolutely love. We'll tell you more about it at the end of the episode. Let's get started. We had such an awesome and informational talk with Amanda Myers about ADHD, and I hope you get as much out of this as I did. So much has been going on around it about this topic. I know a lot of my friends and other parents I talk to, it's kind of been a hot topic because it's so kind of new and more information is coming out all the time, but Amanda really boils it down and makes it more digestible and kind of looking at it in a different view. I thought this was just so awesome and helpful and really opened my eyes to a lot of information on ADHD, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Enjoy. Hi, Amanda. We are so excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be here and especially on a topic that I think every family has kind of had to deal with, especially if they have boys or overactive kids, and that is ADHD. And I'm just really grateful that we can talk about it in depth because I know there's ADD, ADHD, and it's kind of all this information and all this talk about it now. It's become this you know, huge thing where there's a spectrum. And if mm-hmm. you could just touch on what is ADHD, the umbrella, and then ADD falls under that. How, how does that all work?
3: I'm going to try like to not have a coughing fit. It's like you send your kid to school for the first time and then you're like chronically sick, like, Oh, totally. this year. they've kind of scrapped the whole like ADD portion of it in a sense and sort of okay. have lumped it under, um, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, right? But underneath that is going to be three different categories. So, um, you have ADHD, which is an inattentive type, and I'll sort of lay them out and then explain a little bit about them. So, inattentive type, hyperactive type, and then you have what we call combined presentation. So, this would be the combination of both inattention and hyperactivity. With the inattention piece, some examples would be losing things. So the kid that is always showing up, seeming like they're not prepared, right? Like they didn't bring their homework. They don't have their pencil. They set their lunch down on the counter, forgot it. Forgetting things, but also if you like lay out directions for them, like do I want you to do... One, two, and three, or X, Y, Z, whatever. They may do the first thing, and they'll have to come back and ask you what the next thing is going to be. Difficulties with our, like, working memory. So the ability to, for people to tell us information, and then to remember, eventually, like, how that would go in order. Or things like making careless mistakes.
1: What would be a good example of, a like, a mistake in that category? Thinking about
3: in terms of, like, academics. Okay. Like there's a test in front of you or a piece of homework and you're either you want to be done so you're going way too fast as it's either like boring not stimulating you want to like move on to the next thing or you're just like not reading it thoroughly enough um so you just make mistakes that you actually know the material but it looks maybe like on paper that you're struggling okay for hyperactivity I want to, I guess, discuss a little bit of the nuance in that we typically think of hyperactivity as like the really squirrely kid in class, typically like a male-bodied person, right? Or a boy. So a lot of research has been coming out over the course of the last 10 or so years that girls also present with hyperactivity. But one of the main differences is that a lot of it could be mental hyperactivity. So chronic racing thoughts, wanting to move on to the next thing, experiencing a lot of boredom, constantly seeking stimulation, or even more subtle forms of movement, like tapping their leg a lot or their pencil, um, swaying back and forth. Girls present a little bit more minimized in a way. And I think part of that is just how we're actually raised socially. Right. There's like, impulsivity so like difficulty waiting your turn in line or difficulty holding your answer until a question's been completed it's like getting super into certain hobbies doing a lot of research on them and then like no movement past that right it's like jumping from one thing to the next and then the combined type would be just like the combination of those
1: okay got it it's so helpful because you hear all these things and then i think in school you know it's brought up and there's always someone you know that's might have it or mm-hmm. I think the thing personally that scares me i have a boy i have two girls and a boy i have a very active boy and school is not really made for boys physically to sit still that long so then when you have that squirrely boy you're like oh no is he this did and not that it's bad because i know so many adults i mean i have i've been tested i'm sure i am but I know so many people that are running companies and succeeding Mm and huge successful careers that are ADHD. So it's not a bad thing. I just, and I feel like there is a bit of a stigma and I would love to talk about like medication versus like, is there other things we can do if your kid is showing those, you know, traits of Mm -hmm. ADHD or they, you know, say the teacher called.
0: In connection with that as well as you were giving that explanation, my initial thought was, okay, so everyone has this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, Mm who doesn't, who doesn't exhibit a lot of those symptoms, let's call them. Yeah. Characteristics on a regular basis. I'd be interested to know, even before Barbara, we get into that, what would be considered typical and what would be not typical? Because to me, I'm like, well, that's just everyone all the time. Right. Right. So true.
3: Yeah, great question. Because I think one of the biggest things is, one, that it needs to be pervasive. So we're not just talking about this happens in one area of someone's life. Like, they're only this way when it comes to academics. So they're only this way when I ask them to, like, help with chores or um, to help the family out or whatever the thing is. So it needs to appear in multiple areas in different domains of their life. And the other thing is we're going to add, like, relative to peers. So, like you're saying, a lot of people are going to have these, like, characteristics where they forget things or have trouble following instructions, are very, like, directionally challenged. But we want to think about that in relation to peers. So, you know, like, in elementary school, a lot of the kids are, like, super squirrely. That's why we're... Like recess is super important and being allowed to move instead of just like sitting there and having to, you know, pay attention all the time. Um, But I do think it's important that if a teacher is coming to a parent and saying like, you know, your kid is displaying these symptoms that we really do like investigate and pay attention because um, they have eyes on them. Right. And they're thinking about them relative to their peers. So if they're sticking out, then that could be a good avenue for like um,
1: seeking professional help with that piece. Can I? Uh, that's really interesting that you said in multiple areas of their life, because say that they're exhibiting that behavior just at school and the teacher says they're having a hard time, whether it's the hyperactivity or the mm-hmm. concentration. But if they're not displaying it in any other area, what is that? like still to be looked at, or like, what would you say about yeah, that? Yeah,
3: yeah, I think, I think so, because another thing would be um, thinking about it from the, I guess, perspective of, um, like, what's the demand being placed on the child, so maybe they don't do it at home, because the demands at home are less tax. so in school, we're also, there's a lot of stuff going on, like peer interactions, interacting with like um, other kids, teachers, also like moving between classes, right? Especially when we start hitting middle school and there's a lot of different periods of transition. Transition points can be really difficult for people um, that are neurodiverse, whether it's ADHD or on the spectrum. And the fact that many people with ADHD um, may also have a learning disability. So, something like dyslexia or dyscalculia that could be. Presenting, like they could be having more of the symptoms in school because of that piece.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. You mentioned the age demographic of teens. So that Mm -hmm. brings me back to when my kids went to a daycare that was at a university. The kids would be essentially, if you consented as a parent, they would be tested. Mm -hmm. I would actually receive reports on my kids. And so they would, my understanding was that they would be flagging if there were any concerns from a social perspective what age can you even recognize ADHD or any other type of learning difficulty? Because like I said, you mentioned teenagers. So Mm -hmm. is there there a common timing for this or timeline or is it just Mm -hmm. random?
3: So I think there is a difference in timing, especially if we're talking about gender difference, because girls typically get diagnosed later than boys. And maybe part of that has to do with how people think of the typical presentation. And so they're more likely to like investigate that and seek treatment for it. One of the common things that I really want to dispel about ADHD is the belief if your child does well in school, then it, that they can't have ADHD. Because so many kids excel in learning. and. Sometimes we only see actually ADHD diagnosis when they start to get to college because the demands on their executive functioning is actually like a lot greater. Like maybe they can't just rely on natural like intelligence or their curiosity.
1: It's really important I especially having I I have like I said a son and two daughters and just knowing that obviously boys mature slower you know and just knowing when to look for i heard like in by 8 years old or third grade or something that that would be like a good barometer when they start watching boys
3: mm-hmm. at least.
1: and i love what you said because it, so many things i just love talking about this because i can't tell you how many times it's come up with parents um and myself of just you know someone we know and it, and then it's just the topic at hand but when you were saying that ADHD traits might come about when they have a learning disability. And I'm kind of like, is it the chicken or the egg? Like which one agitates what, you know, so if mm-hmm. there's a learning disability and they are displaying ADHD traits, then how do you know that it's not ADHD? Like what's your recommendation there? Say if the child is dyslexic, but mm-hmm. then, you know, having a hard time focusing and then staying still and keeping up, You know, how do you differentiate or kind of help a parent that is, wants to know, is it both or is it just, Mm -hmm. is he exhibiting this because of the dyslexia?
3: Yeah. I'd say that, like, seek out the school counselor. I've worked with some really, really fabulous school counselors. So a school counselor would be able to help because I want to say most, if not all, school districts at least have like a school psychologist. This is where it would be important for parents if they think something's going on in terms of that would be getting their tested. And many school psychologists can like deliver the tests, you know, at school, and then they figure out what your results are. And from there, um, you can get modifications to the education so you can get more support, right? Whether it looks like a 504 plan or something like an IEP.
1: I just like that you brought that up, that it could exhibit those other traits, even though it might not be that, but just to really look into it and kind of Mm -hmm. dissect it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So then if you're doing that, is that typically formal testing that will occur if you think there are any concerns?
3: Not exactly sure how the school psychologists would go about it. I do know there are formal testings that they give because... Part of ADHD testing would be to actually give you a lot of things to look at your, like, working memory or or your executive function. Like, how well can you see this thing and then repeat it to me? It's quite a long process. I think it lasts for actually a couple hours. As far as my knowledge about it, I could totally be incorrect about that. Part of it would be that they actually gather information from the teacher, and see like what does the teacher think about this what are some of the things happening at home what do you know and notice when they bring homework home and that's why like middle school could also be really a helpful time for this because multiple different teachers get to see them across different disciplines right so like maybe your kid really is excelling in like art and music and reading but where they have a really big struggle is math and so maybe there is some sort of like learning
1: disability when it comes to like Yeah, I feel bad bringing up my son. (laughs) But (laughs) it's so he is, like I was saying, is a typical active boy and has a hard time focusing. So his teacher was bringing up some things. But I'm also like, well, he can sit there and memorize his football plays. And, you know, and so it's hard to really, as a parent, figure out what is really an issue. Or what is mm-hmm. like it just not wanting to do something or be into, cause my son Carson has dyslexia. So it's like, okay, well, if he's, ha- if he's frustrated, he's so competitive and self competitive. Like, is he just like moving too fast? Cause he's like, I just want to be done with it. Mm-hmm. So it's so tricky to figure out. And yeah. I think for a lot of people, but then I've heard wonderful stories where it completely changed their child's trajectory in school because they, got the help they needed and whether it was medication or they changed some things. Mm-hmm. And if the child is so different and, and like really helped them and change the whole dynamic. Yeah. So say once you get the testing, like you were saying from the school or from an outside source, and they do come back as ADHD, obviously there is the medication route. Do they always suggest that to people or there's, is there alternative a uh, non-medical routes that you can, mm-hmm do as a parent
3: yeah well I'm gonna of course like put on my therapist hat here and say that the medication is an option and sometimes we're able to implement certain things in like a kid's routine or just in like the support that they need and that is good enough at that time right and then like as demands increase then you you can continue to come back and assess. Working with kids and teens that have ADHD or like adults that are newly diagnosed, we always talk about like, you get to choose whether you do the medication route or like you try some other things first. But I will say that many people could try all the things and it's not effective. And then that's when they like, come back around to me. Like, okay, I need to like do these skills while I also take medication.
1: Got it. Cause it is kind of that spectrum of where you're at and what your needs are. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. For those that need the medication. Great. And then for those that want to try the alternative, like you said, schedules at home or diet, what are some things you work with your clients for things that they can try if they don't want to go straight to the medication route? If you want to start with parents, what they can do for their kids, and then teens up to adults, what they can start doing as well. Just because you're just such an amazing wealth of knowledge, I'm, I'm like, okay. give it all, <laughs> give it all to us, please. Well,
3: before I start this, I actually want to add something. If you're considering getting your kid tested for ADHD, or you think they might have it, sometimes one of the difficulties that parents experience is the fact that they might also mean that they actually have ADHD as well. The genetics are very strong when it comes to passing um, ADHD down along our lines, right? So if a kid has it, it, it's about a third, at least 30% chance that if a parent has it, their child will have it.
1: Okay, wow, that's really interesting. Um,
3: Yeah, and so one of the things is that if, if in people's family they have a close relative with ADHD or someone on the spectrum or someone that maybe just got diagnosed with a learning disability I'm all like that always cues me into um, asking certain questions to rule out those things as well especially because there wasn't a lot of diagnosis happening you know 30 years ago when people are like people my age in their 30s are like now having kids and like We didn't really know exactly what ADHD looked like in girls.
1: Yeah. I was going to ask that too, is that now there's just so much awareness and it's like on everybody's brain. Whereas Mm -hmm. when we were, you know, when I was younger, highly likely (laughs) like, you know, I haven't, but I just never been tested. And I'm like, well, I'm I'm doing okay. I don't know. So, but (laughs) I I like that you brought that up, that it's just so newer to all of our, like worlds and that it can be hereditary and that 30% chance if the parent has it, that the child also can have it. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. That's super helpful. So then once that, so once it's diagnosed, what can a parent do at the beginning to avoid, if they don't want to do start with medication for their child?
3: One of the big things is really talking with kids um and letting them know about like transitions because transitions ends up being a pretty difficult thing for kiddos on the spectrum um and so I mean like if you know they're in class and that day they need to go to PE or and then you know then they need to go to lunch and all of these things um having them be able to anticipate the schedule is really helpful to prepare them for transitions and so we do this by like talking talking them through things like, okay, like you can watch this show or whatever for 20 more minutes. And when it ends, then we're going to eat breakfast and then we're going to get in the car and go to school or like whatever your morning looks like. From a nutrition perspective, it is really important, especially if a kid starts, um, stimulant medication that, um, parents become more aware of how long time has gone between eating, because as like we know, stimulants can have the impact of decreasing appetite, and so we need to be really on top of like, oh, you know, it's twelve o'clock. We probably need to start thinking about lunch, and being mindful of that piece. And also, it, even if it, someone's not on medication, sometimes what I see happening often is that they get very like hyper focused on something. So whether that's like, you know, your what you were saying about your son memorizing football plays and stuff, they get so in the zone that they actually aren't aware of how much time has passed. And it could be like hours before, since they have last eaten.
1: Also about eating, I've heard, I don't know if it's <laughs> just hearsay, but like, Food coloring does that exasperate it, or you know, sugar and all this stuff? I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. for any kid, that's obviously not ideal. But especially for ADHD kids, is there anything along those lines, or anything to like really watch out for because they're more sensitive to it?
3: Mm-hmm. Hmm. I have. I think I have my own sort of professional and personal view about this. But as far as like research and like the literature we have on it I'm going to say that it's mixed okay I know some studies have shown like certain color dyes to exacerbate certain symptoms I don't know if I necessarily believe that that's the case um there's also a lot of research that has shown the opposite so okay I think the the jury is out on that one got it that's good to know. yeah yeah because if we're already like if we're already doing something, it's so much easier to add to instead of like trying to scrap everything and throw it in the trash and start, fresh, especially if we're talking about a parent who is on the spectrum or has.
1: Yeah. 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 OK, so the food and the transitions, talking to your kids about trans- transitions, is there anything else you suggest to your parents of kind of what to do?
3: The big thing would be looking into what resources the school can offer them,
1: yeah,
3: and that also comes with a lot of difficulty and emotions to work through as a parent and for their kid because especially when the kid like moves along in their academic careers, not wanting to be the kid who has the aid, like helping them in class mm-hmm. becomes a big thing. and so. A lot of work has to be on like, okay, how can we help support my kid because they have a learning disability or they need a bit extra support and acknowledge that that is going to make them possibly stick out in ways that they don't want to.
1: Right, right. No, that is really hard.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And how common is, I mean, do you have a statistic on any, like on how common ADHD is now? Because there's just so much more awareness. I'm just curious because it's not uncommon. And I do, you know, in, in our house, I I would like to, you know, we, we all, we have friends that their kids have ADHD that Mm -hmm. we know of. And, and I would like it to be looked at as not such a bad thing because there's many good things that come with it. Like, you know, um, and like I said, I know many adults now that are kind of realizing they're on the spectrum or have ADHD and they are amazing and happy and so successful. So it's not like this, it's something that you might need a little extra help, but once Mm -hmm. you get that, you can
3: thrive. I was going to say, I thought it was about 10% and it looks about that, about like 9.4% I say your name is Jessica, Jessica McCabe, who has a series called "How to ADHD." And so, if people are interested, I send them that way because she has ADHD and she like breaks it down and does so many helpful things. Because yes, it's a um, neurodevelopmental difference, right? Like she talks about it. Like people on the spectrum or with ADHD are sort of a Mac. Right, we're like Apple products, and if you try to do something like you're trying to hook something up from a PC to that, ain't gonna happen, right? And like other people who we would term like neurotypical, as opposed to neurodivergent, neurodivergent would be the ADHD kids on the spectrum, people on the spectrum. So, neurotypicals are like PCs, right? Most often, you can just plug them on, plug them in anywhere and go. So, we're talking about a difference in system, and they it does come with different capabilities that are really amazing, right? Like this ability to like hyper-focus in this type of creativity. I see so many kids and adults with ADHD have because there's just like such a curiosity about them that just flows out in ways where we can see them excel in really amazing ways. So I I I think like we have been talking about like what are the hindrances? Um, But I also want to highlight that there's also really
1: amazing things about having a neurodivergent brain. I love that. I love looking at it always in that glass half hole of what can come out of it. And then that, like you said, the different systems, it's just the way their brain works. It's not good or bad or different. It's just Mm -hmm. not like the norm. So this is how we can work with it and move on. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, I do want to emphasize that it is different because the fact that we live in a very neurotypical world, right? Like we want people to fit into this box and if they don't, then that's a problem,
1: right?
3: right? Like so much of the ADHD diagnostic criteria or like a symptoms checklist is based on like, how much does this person disturb me? Like as the authority, right? Like they're not sitting in their seat. They're not raising their hand. They're losing their things. They're not keeping their room clean. And so it's very much like, how am I bothered by this? And then we use that as the diagnostic criteria, which is problematic. But go yeah. um, back to what the original question was, we talked about transitions, but part of that is also like being very routine. So mm-hmm. having, having things set of how things need to go, sort of like a mental checklist. This will be more difficult for parents to have ADHD if they struggle with like things like timeliness is a big one. So um, we talk about with ADHD, there's sort of two modes of time. There's there's now and not now. So um, if we're thinking that, you know, we need to be somewhere at nine. Then we might be doing nothing up until we think about the time that we need to leave. Right. And so some of this is trying to transition to when do I need to be there as opposed to when do I need to leave? Um, Because then we often don't leave ourselves enough time. And then we get anxious because we're going to be late or the parent who's always getting their kids to school late. I'm super guilty of this. That's part of it. Like the transitions, helping them be prepared about things that are going to be coming up in their day. Also sort of the thing to pay attention to is that you may have a kid that is really good at masking, especially if we're talking about girls, to where they can keep it together all day. They're doing, like, really great with holding in their impulse control. They're, like, really focused on staying in line, following the order, meeting the expectations. And then they get home and they have a freaking meltdown because you're the safe place and they don't have to continue to do that. Mm -hmm. I think also a thing to cue into if people are like, oh, well, they're totally fine in school, but then they get home and it's like a catastrophe. um, That's also to cue into like maybe something's going on in that realm, too, Um, because kids, teens and adults, when it comes to ADHD, um, have to learn different skills for emotion regulation, Um, because we're talking about uh, maybe having When we're talking about impulse control with heightened emotions, we may see more things like temper tantrums, um, and quick to escalate, but low and low return to baseline. So we do have to be really intentional about teaching kids and teens skills about how to recognize sensations that they're feeling in their body, how to help them name what those emotions are. And then, um helping teach them skills on how to.
1: Wow. That's really helpful to look out for, for girls. Mm -hmm. And I love, I I wanted to laugh and probably in the most, like always get the uncomfortable laughs, but when you're talking about how kids with ADHD need like the, the schedule and the routine, and then it's 30% chance their parent will have ADHD. And then they're having the challenge with the schedule and the routine themselves. It's just, I'm like, that's kind of like a, it's almost like a far side or like I just, you remember those, those like comics, you know, I mean, cause mm-hmm. I, I, I laugh because I can just picture myself in this with, you know, like, come on guys, why are you together? As my stuff is like all crazy. But um, on that, can you dive into how older kids, like teens up to adults can start, say it's a late awareness that they have ADHD um can you share some things that would be really helpful for them you know they don't have a parent as well vol- as involved or involved at all if you're an adult um of what we you know could do mm-hmm. being more effective and learning how to deal and move on and be productive
3: One thing to look for is if you haven't if there hasn't been like a big like if your teen hits it's part of like novelty seeking and we want to like make mistakes so we learn from them and what I will say thinking about like relative to peers so is my kid engaging in um things that are dangerous like have they started experimenting with drugs or have they started to become more secretive which is out of like the norm of what we would think of when children become teens Because um, Substance abuse is like a common co occurring thing with ADHD. And part of this is because it could be an attempt to regulate their own like emotional states or experience. Or if we're talking about that, it also co occurs with things like anxiety and depression. They're also trying to figure out how to manage that pain. Got it. So I look at substance use, also eating disorders and disordered eating can be more common um, especially for alternating between periods of restriction if that's due to like your kid is like on medication and or they're just like forgetting to eat because if a kid has like basically skipped food for a while right our bodies adjust um, to not having food and then we actually don't get those same signals right Mm -hmm. so like we may not actually feel hungry because the body's like. Well, I like tell you I'm hungry, you don't do anything. So what's the point? Or if we see certain things like um not eating a lot during the day, and then once their medication wears off, or they have more access to food, they're eating more than what we would consider like um quote unquote normal in a setting. And I call that um like compensatory eating. So because they haven't gotten much calories during the day, they're like loading everything up at night, would be part of something to look for.
0: These sound like things too that are challenges that people would face too as they get older, right? Yeah. If you're having, if you are being diagnosed and, or you haven't been diagnosed, and these are signs maybe to watch for as mm-hmm. an adult being diagnosed or older teen. So, if those are some of the propensities, then what would be some of the things that you would recommend typically for clients to put in place? help safeguard against okay I'm going to avoid not eating all day what are some of those things that you would suggest is it just the regiment or the regime of
3: so a routine can help and of course like school is a good part for this right because they have lunch at a certain time every day families typically have dinner at a certain time of night but I think too what we're talking about with like um we can also see this happening in adults that maybe haven't been diagnosed, or the demand on them is becoming greater, so they're less able to continue implementing some of those things they've just naturally learned as ways to manage their symptoms. For example, like if you just lose things all the time, but you learned that um, you just need to have multiples of things, then if I asked you the question, do you lose things, you would tell me no. Because you've learned to have multiples of them, therefore, you don't actually need to move things around, right? You don't need to take them out of the place where you know that they are. In terms of adults, too, I think before we started recording about this, we were talking a little bit about the menopause thing. But another one to pay attention to is if um, a person has a kid. So if they were uh, managing their ADHD well or they didn't know they had it and then they have a child, we're talking about a huge um, change in not only hormones, but also our, the demand on our own attention. And so um, symptoms can escalate pretty quickly because of all of the different things we have to do. And because we actually get out of a routine that
0: we may have developed to help us with those symptoms Is it just getting back to the routine? Is it writing it down, mm-hmm. the to-do lists, or is there anything else more specific? to that? I mean, I know it's harder as adults because we're autonomous. We're not, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like a parent and child where it's easy to say, okay, I'm picking you up at whatever time today from school. And then we're going to go to, you know, X activity.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I would say one, of course, I would try and seek out a mental health therapist. Definitely one who at least is, maybe they didn't like call themselves an expert or whatever, but at least there are, are very knowledgeable and about. About ADHD, um, if you believe that you have that. So you can kind of explore that. So, yes, having a mental health therapist so that you can talk about what the struggles are so we can find out ways to help mitigate some of the difficulties.
0: It sounds like, too, that you almost need to diagnose the ancillary or underlying other conditions that we struggle with as adults because you Mm -hmm. mentioned that there's often these ties. Certain things, and you said even when diagnosing, you're you're often looking at certain underlying causes or or connections, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. If someone comes and they're struggling with things like anxiety and depression, we should still always like be looking for something like neurodivergence, because some of the things that people struggle with because we live in this like neurotypical space is um, feeling like they're not like good enough. Um, or the things they're doing are adequate. Um, and so sometimes there's this underlying belief that they're just like forgetful or, um, I hate the word lazy, but people that are neurodivergent, um, hear that a lot because they like, there's just more difficulty sometimes with, um, cleaning up after themselves or like their room is a mess, but to them it's like totally Functional, they can find things. So I would say that piece. But one of the differences is that people that are neurotypical have the natural—I would say—without, if we're not talking about like they're experiencing something like depression, um, have a, the natural hormones in them that create the reward system for motivation. In people with ADHD, that system doesn't work as efficiently in some ways. There's not a huge amount of like intrinsic or like internal motivation, if they're missing some of those things like dopamine, like we need dopamine to have internal motivation to go do things. And this is where medication can be very effective. If people are like, you know, I've tried all the lists. I set alarms to eat. Doesn't happen. We may like actually need medication to help us be able to like function more effectively in our lives. And sometimes you find that with medication treatment, some of the underlying things um, are lessened or resolved, right? Like the person's not needing like a clinical diagnosis for anxiety anymore, or like some of their depression has lifted because their brain is not constantly like hyperactive or sort of stuck in like an intrusive thought loop, or they're like able to eat more regularly. One of the things I always look for is if someone has a lot of anxiety, it also could be exacerbated by not eating because when we don't eat and when we're anxious, we have the same sort of physiological response in our bodies. So some of that with like mental health treatment and medication could be like resolved with that piece. Even things like substance abuse could be not resolved, but it could be something that may be easier to control or for if we're able to help somebody with something like impulse control.
1: Wow, Amanda, this is just so helpful because it is, I mean, even talking about, it's just such a tricky subject because when you describe it, it it could be so many different people, like Mm -hmm. Tristan and I were saying. Also a lot of the schools, you know, if, if you're seeing these traits in your kid, a lot of schools, because it comes out of their funding, don't wanna like expand on it for your child unless it's really bad. But you also need to be your own advocate for yourself, yeah. for your kids, and really look into it. But it's so many things that you've pointed out are really helpful, especially what to look for in girls that they they show different behaviors when they have ADHD versus a boy. There's are more internal versus boys being more external and just really what to look for, especially in the teens and adulthood, of how it could, you know, anxiety or depression could be mm-hmm. less. I mean, it, this is huge and so much that I had no idea about. And I think this will help so many people because again, I think this is so talked about and such a big topic. And now that it is hitting on all the age brackets, not only the littles, but now up to adults, because we missed that awareness and testing back then. So I, I just really appreciate this. And I'm so grateful that people like you are, helping families and kids out with that have ADHD and really making a difference in their lives. And so thank you so much for sharing your magic with our audience. I know it's helped me a lot today. And so can you share where people can find you because I just there should be more of you out there.
3: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I it was really a pleasure talking about this. Being a therapist is great. Cause I can like help individuals and like sometimes families, like they're accomplishing things, but I also like really enjoy the larger piece and trying to help um, communities as a whole and like get this information out there. I want to share where people can find me before that, um, cause you, you made a statement about like a difference in boys and girls. Um, I do want to emphasize that the differences we see aren't necessarily due to sex differences. They okay. can be due to how um, boys and girls are socialized. Like more acceptable for a kid to be like a boy to be like squirrely and the one like digging in the dirt and causing a bunch of mess but we don't necessarily raise girls in that same way and part of that is what contributes to different symptom
1: present and that makes so much sense
3: so where to find me so of course like I have a website have a private practice and share space with one of my Best friends and colleagues, roots PNW for like PacificNorthwest.com. Also Instagram, raising an intuitive eater, and hopefully be able to show people, like parents especially, like how, ways that they can help nurture their kids' development by making sure that they're like well-fed. And also we've had such a huge increase in eating disorders; it's increased so much. That we need to also have a lot of awareness about what our ways as parents or caregivers that we can like mitigate some of the impact of that on our own kids.
1: That's awesome. And I highly encourage you to post as much as you can about it because it's really needed. I will try my best. I've tried social <laughs> media
3: before and I just like, whether that's because of ADHD, I just like it loses. I'm like, I have all these things. And then I go to do it. I'm like, wow, that takes a lot of time.
1: So Says I'm going to <laughs> Yeah. You're not alone. You are not alone. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. And we hope to have you on again.
4: Oh, I'd love to. This was such a helpful episode with Amanda for so many reasons. It's really such an important topic that affects so many families at literally every age. A few of my takeaways from this episode are, one, there are so many characteristics and symptoms for ADHD, it can be hard for parents to even know what to watch for. So getting help from a school teacher or psychologist and then getting testing done, whether it's through the school or privately, can be really game-changing, especially for the kids that really need the medication and the extra help in school. 2. It's not just young kids that are diagnosed with ADHD, but something to keep an eye out for with teens and even young adults and older adults, even if the adults didn't previously exhibit any signs in the past. Amanda tells us that it's always been there, it's just that the symptoms or characteristics can show up as a result of things like added responsibilities or stressors or demands in our lives, which typically increase as we get older and have our own families. Three. Not all symptoms are going to be the same for everyone. And I like how Amanda describes a lot of the different examples so we could really get a better understanding of what to be aware of. She also mentioned that girls present differently than boys and clarified that it needs to be pervasive relative to someone's peers, whether they exhibit these characteristics in multiple areas of their lives compared to characteristics their peers exhibit. Also, that people with ADHD commonly have learning difficulties as well and that ADHD can be hereditary. And last, I also liked all the little things that Amanda recommends for supporting kids, teens, and adults with ADHD. So things like watching time between eating and supporting kids through transitions and also just having a routine can be super helpful, she said. And I also loved that she talked about all the amazing attributes when you have a neurodivergent brain like creativity, for example. And her analogy to a computer operating system was really insightful. Again, just so much helpful information in this episode, and we really look forward to having Amanda on again soon. I hope this helps and that you have a great day.
1: Thank you again for joining us today. We know how many other things you could be doing, and it means the world to us that you're here. We hope
2: you always get something valuable from our podcast and that you feel supported. If you have a question for us about our content or anything else, please leave it in your review of this podcast, or you can send us an email or DM us on Instagram.
1: We're here for you. So let us know what topics would be helpful and that you're interested in. You can join our membership by clicking on the link in the show notes. You are never alone in parenting, and we're here to support you at every stage. If you know anyone that would be inspired or supported by this podcast, please share it with them. We provide content every week, so please subscribe wherever you're listening from. If you leave a review, you'll have the opportunity to win a gift that we absolutely love. We're so excited about this giveaway. We
2: only introduce brands to our community that align with our values, and Barbara and I both love the Now Tone Therapy System. This yoga for your mind is one of the most simple ways to relax, relieve stress and anxiety. The creators recommend listening twice a day for only three minutes to receive these benefits or to listen as often as you like. And if you buy them, there's a risk-free three-month trial period. What we like best about Now Tone Therapy System is that it's something everyone can make time for. My family likes to listen first thing in the morning and at the end of each day. It's the easiest and most relaxing path to mindfulness daily. We'll link to this amazing product in the show notes below. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll see you next time.